You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Trevor Noah, and this is the Daily Social Distancing Show. Today is March 1st, which means it's the first day of Women's History Month, people. So all the ladies in the house, let me hear you say, yeah! Oh, I forgot there's no one in my house. There's never anyone in my house. It's been a year. Anyway, on tonight's show, Andrew Cuomo is in trouble again. Roy Wood Jr. and Jabuki Young White make money off of Trump's casino, and the Golden Globes need a black friend. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Now, usually on a Monday show, we like to talk about the big story over the weekend. But this weekend, people, there wasn't one big story. There were like a hundred. News was popping up faster than coronavirus variants. In fact, there's so much news right now that we don't even have enough time today to cover it all. Fortunately, though, not enough time is just enough time for a segment we call Ain't Nobody Got Time For That. Let's begin with the big entertainment news. The Golden Globes. It's the Oscars' weird foreign cousin. And last night's ceremony was less focused on the awards than who was handing them out. The Golden Globes live from coast to coast. For the first time in Globes history, taking a place in two time zones with hosts Amy Poehler in LA and Tina Fey in New York. It didn't take long for the duo to address one of the biggest controversies this year. That being that of the 87 voting members of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which runs the Globe, there are zero black voters. I realize HFPA, maybe you guys didn't get the memo because your workplace is the back booth of a French McDonald's. But you gotta change that. So here's to changing it. The organization vowing to do better. We recognize we have our own work to do. Just like in film and television, black representation is vital. We must have black journalists in our organization. Yeah, no shit. You know you've got representation problems when the Proud Boys have more black members than you. But basically, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association was being roasted all night by the hosts, by the presenters, even by themselves. I mean, so the good news is you know they're gonna fix the problem. Because can you imagine them coming back next year and being like, we are still working on finding a single black person. If anybody out there knows a single black person, please uh, give us their number. But aside from the no black people controversy, I'm not gonna lie, I did enjoy getting to see inside all of these celebrities' homes. And hands down, my favorite house was Jeff Daniels. Cause I don't know if you noticed this, but there are like five doors in that room. And think about this, we're only seeing one and a half walls. I mean, there could easily be 10 to 20 more doors. You know, some celebrities spend their money on fancy cars and jewelry. Jeff Daniels spends his money on doors. I respect the hell out of that. And look, We could spend a lot more time talking about representation at the Golden Globes or all the amazing black actors and filmmakers who won this year and how brave it was for Sean Penn to let a Roomba cut his hair, but we don't have the time for that because we have to talk about the political scandal that is rocking the country. 
New York Governor Andrew Cuomo increasingly under fire tonight. A second woman reportedly coming forward accusing him of sexual harassment. The latest allegations come from 25-year-old Charlotte Bennett, a former Cuomo executive assistant and health policy advisor. She tells the New York Times that the 63-year-old governor asked her questions about her sex life. Quote, he asked me if I believed if age made a difference in relationships, she says, and if I had ever been with an older man. And at one point, she says the governor said he's fine with anyone above the age of 22. The Times reports that the 63-year-old governor said he had been lonely during the pandemic and pressed her on who she last hugged, saying he can't even hug anyone before turning to Bennett, asking her who I last hugged, asking, no, I mean like really hugged somebody. She interpreted these questions as clear overtures for a sexual relationship. The 63-year-old governor releasing a statement Sunday that said, at work sometimes, I think I am being playful and make jokes that I think are funny. I do on occasion tease people in what I think is a good-natured way. Cuomo adding, I now understand that my interactions may have been insensitive or too personal. I acknowledge some of the things I have said have been misinterpreted as an unwanted flirtation guys of course he was being playful i mean imagine your much older politically powerful boss turns to you and says when was the last time you were really hugged that's super playful can't you feel your skin crawling with delight here's the thing even if cuomo did think that he was just being playful it's still not okay all right this is what bosses never seem to understand. If you're a boss, you should never be flirtatious with your employees because as a boss, you're basically a dragon, all right? Nobody's ever trying to hug a dragon. They're just trying to get out of the cave in one piece. Seriously, Caitlin, maybe sometime we should go out for a coffee. <sighs> uh... So right now, things are looking pretty bad for Governor Cuomo. He's facing investigations and even calls to resign. And you know that it's not good when you're the person in trouble and you're like, guys, please, remember all those old people in nursing homes I got killed? Let's talk about that again. Come on, huh? And I'll tell you, man, all those people who praised Cuomo so highly last year, whew, those people really don't look so smart now. Delete the tapes, delete the tapes, delete them all. I mean, it must be so embarrassing. Can you imagine if you're one of those people? <laughs> Just burn them. I don't give a shit. Burn them. Yeah, and then you just cut this part out. Now look, there's a lot more to say about what consequences Cuomo should face or how creepy it is that he refers to sex as really hugging. But we can't get into all of that right now because the president of the United States is dropping bombs. New details tonight about the U.S. airstrikes in Syria overnight, the first military action taken by the Biden administration. President Biden ordered strikes on an Iranian-backed militia compound in eastern Syria near the Iraqi border. Nine buildings were destroyed, and Iraqi officials said one militia member was killed. The strikes were retaliation for a rocket attack in Iraq earlier this month that killed a civilian contractor and wounded a U.S. service member and other coalition troops. Some Democrats wish Biden would have asked them for an okay. Senator Tim Kaine protests, offensive military action without congressional approval is not constitutional, absent extraordinary circumstances. Congress must be fully briefed on this matter expeditiously. Yes, barely a month into Joe Biden's presidency, and he has already dropped his first bombs on Syria. You know, new American presidents bomb the Middle East the way new inmates beat the hell out of somebody on their first day in the prison yard. And I don't even know why. I really don't get it. 
I mean, America doesn't need to look tough. It's not like Canada saw Biden bombing Syria and all of a sudden they were like, uh, all right, better cancel the invasion, eh? And what's crazy is all the senators can do after this is just complain. It's actually ridiculous just how little power Congress has to actually stop the president from bombing whoever he wants. Even a drunk guy at a bar has at least two friends to hold him back. And I don't think it's too much to ask for the US government to have more checks and balances than a McSwiggins. I will say this though. What I do find really interesting is that when it comes to helping people, you know, like raising the minimum wage or canceling student debt, Biden says he respects any tiny Senate rules that block him. I can't do it because of the Senate. But when it comes to dropping bombs on people, suddenly Biden is like, man, f Congress. Let's do it and be legends. Now look, people, there's a lot to say about how America can't seem to stop fighting in the Middle East and about the hypocrisy of bombing Syria after condemning Trump when he did it. But we don't have the time to talk about that hypocrisy because there was an even more blatant one just this weekend. Report on the grisly 2018 murder of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi, confirming the U.S. assessment that Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, or MBS, personally approved the Saudi operation to capture or kill Khashoggi, who was a critic of the Saudi royal family. The president has decided to give Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman a pass. No direct sanctions, basically no punishment. The White House now arguing that they must maintain the relationship with Saudi Arabia, but that they are recalibrating it. The CNN team at the White House is also being told that sanctions against MBS were, quote, too complicated and could jeopardize U.S. military interests in Saudi Arabia. Well, I certainly hope Saudi Arabia has learned its lesson. Killing journalists will not be tolerated for a few months while I'm running for president, and then after that, it will be tolerated. I'm sorry for raising my voice. No, but for real though, guys, I'm just joking. This is actually really sweet to see. You need to find you someone who forgives you the way America forgives Saudi Arabia, because every fight they have ends like a romantic comedy. You know, just the two of them standing in the rain. So you're not mad that I killed your journalist? I am mad, Saudi Arabia. And I can't wait to spend the rest of my life forgiving you. Wow, you really hugging me. But hey, I understand where President Biden is coming from. He needs Saudi Arabia's support or they won't let American soldiers stay there. And America needs those soldiers there to protect America's other soldiers who are there. And those soldiers are there to support Saudi Arabia, who support America needs to keep troops there to protect the troops who are... Wait, this doesn't sound right. Hold on, let me start over. Now, on a normal day, we would spend more time chatting about America's relationship with Saudi Arabia and just how many killer journalists for free cards they actually have left. But there's no time for that right now because there is one story that everybody's talking about. And so we need to make time for it. CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, which is an annual gathering for hardcore right-wingers. You know, sort of like the Golden Globes, but for your aunt's Facebook group. And it began over the weekend with the organizers begging the audience to wear their masks. And they did this by trying to appeal to their conservative principles. I know this might sound like a little bit of a downer, but we also believe in property rights. And this is a private hotel. But a private hotel, just like your house, gets to set its own rules. Carly, our CPAC director. So please, everyone, when you're in the ballroom, when you're seated, you should still be wearing a mask. 
So if everybody can go ahead, work on that. You, you have the right. So thank you all for putting on your masks. I wear a mask when I'm in the halls, and we're going to comply with their rules. Boo! Let the free market decide which one of us will survive this pandemic! Boo! It is amazing just how adamantly some conservatives refuse to ever wear a mask. The only thing that fights this hard to get itself killed is when a dog's trying to eat chocolate. I mean, these people are so terrifying that the first guy was scared to even make the announcement himself. He was like, uh, as conservatives, we respect the rights of business, which means, uh, Carly, I think he wanted to tell them something. But eventually, the show got underway and all the big right-wing stars were there. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem attacked Anthony Fauci. Representative Matt Gates attacked Mr. Potato Head. And the CEO of Goya Beans said that Donald Trump is still, quote, the real, legitimate, and actual president of the United States, end quote. Now, he can get away with saying that because what are you gonna do? Buy generic black beans? And then after all of that, it was time for Ted Cruz, Texas senator and the Wario version of Pee Wee Herman. And his whole speech rarely came down to one sentence. In the immortal words of William Wallace, freedom! Yeah, uh, a lot of people don't remember this, but at the end of that scene, Braveheart rides his horse straight to Cancun. But it makes sense for Cruz to quote that movie. I mean, I'm sure lots of people were quoting Mel Gibson at CPAC. But as usual, nobody showed up to see Ted Cruz because the star of the weekend was none other than Donald Jobless Trump. And for anyone wondering if Trump is still worshiped by his people, well, this might answer your question. Take a look at this. This is in the convention center hallways, and it is a uh, very large statue of Donald Trump made of gold. You can see there he's in a suit as well as an American flag with shorts. And it certainly has been getting a lot of attention, a lot of people posing with the statue. But I think, if anything, it gives us a better idea of the kind of crowd that's here at CPAC. <laughs> Holy shit, guys. Did you see that thing? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like... Like, yeah, 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 I get it. It's a golden idol and blasphemous and all of that, blah, blah, blah. But guys, why is it wearing flip-flops and holding a magic wand? <laughs> I mean, do you know how hard it is to make Donald Trump look weirder than he already is? Like, it doesn't even look like Trump. It looks like King Midas dry-humped a Bob's big boy. I mean, so yeah, that statue looks dumb, but still, Everyone at CPAC was excited to take pictures with it. Especially Eric. This is the closest we've ever been in a long time, Dad. Look, I know, I'm just a gold statue, but get the hell away from me, you creepy looking freak. Now, as exciting as gold-plated Hobbit Trump is, the statue was no match for the real thing. And everyone hoping that Trump would come on stage and play his hits, well, they were definitely not disappointed. We have a very sick and corrupt electoral process that must be fixed immediately. This election was rigged, and the Supreme Court and other courts didn't want to do anything about it. They didn't have the courage, the Supreme Court. You take a look at the votes. When you have more votes than you have people, that's a problem, right? Is that a problem? In Pennsylvania, they had hundreds of thousands of more votes than they had people voting. What's that all about? What's that all about? 
cheating, they say. Yeah, I'd say so. But uh, it's one of those things. But who knows? Who knows? I may even decide to beat them for a third time, okay? Beat them for a third time. I've watched CPAC and WandaVision this weekend, and I'm not sure which characters are living in a more warped reality. And look, Trump is always gonna insist that he won. He's hopeless, I get that. But for the rest of the conservatives in that room, someone is gonna need to step up and have the balls to tell them that their candidate lost and that they need to grow up and accept that. And I think, Carly, you were gonna tell them that, right? Carly? All right, when we come back, Roy Wood Jr. and Jabuki Young White look at Donald Trump's explosive casino in New Jersey. So don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Two weeks ago, the Trump Plaza Casino was imploded, leaving a large gap on the Atlantic City boardwalk. And if there's one team that knows how to capitalize on a smoking hole left by Donald Trump, it's Roy Wood Jr. and Jabuki Young White, our very own property brothers. Today, we're looking at Trump Plaza, a grand casino built in 1984, originally comprised of 614 units on over two acres. It was the shining future that Donald Trump promised Atlantic City. Yeah, that's right, and I would say that worked about as well as all of Donald Trump's promises. But as we always say here at Property Brothers, one man's rubble is another man's- Opportunity to strip that shit for copper. No, that's not what we say. Look, I'm just saying that copper is there, either way. If you've got a property, we've got a plan. We're the, the Property, property Brothers. This gorgeous two-acre plot gives us an opportunity to rival all the beauties of Atlantic City by building something this community desperately needs, another casino. So we met with the chair of city planning board, Steve Young. You're sitting on a gold mine. For decades now, your community's bedrock has been casinos. That's a great investment. In the eyes of whom? Black and Hispanic and, and people of color. We have not seen that great promise and that gold streak that you're talking about. These casinos, they come here and they get a tax break and then they mostly leave town. So how are we supposed to stabilize our community if the dollar's not circulating, staying here? Steve, all I'm hearing from you right now is a lot of pessimism. We've all seen pictures of Atlantic City. Bright lights, gold, beautiful, boardwalk. You haven't seen it from the grassroots level. We have over 500 abandoned houses right now as we speak, but we don't even have a decent community center here. Okay, Steve, I hear you. So our plan is going to be to open a community center. Just like you said, we're going to have a lounge. We're going to have nice chairs, uh, bright lights, no windows. You got to keep it fun. Don't want to fall asleep. So there's going to be a lot of games, machines with bright blinking lights. There'll, there'll be a lever that they could pull for, you know, physical uh, component of it. No, we have enough of all what you just described. It did not work. Matter of fact, we don't even have a place you can be born here. They took the maternity ward away 
and now you have to go 20 miles out. So can you imagine a woman pregnant, called the ambulance, have to go 20 miles away to a hospital that was five minutes away? We don't even have a cemetery where you can be buried. Hang on, Steve. So let me get this straight. If you get pregnant in Atlantic City, you can't have the baby in Atlantic City. And if you die in Atlantic City, you can't even be buried in Atlantic City. Yes, that's the facts. Here's an idea. How hard could it be to put a maternity ward in the casino? We got prenatal care and blackjack. Maternity wards belong in hospitals. So Steve, what's your plan then? Let's be creative and let's work together towards solutions to our problems and build the community. It can be saved. I was able to come up with a plan dealing with education, health, criminal justice, wealth, and poverty. That these are things we can do, and we made it very clear in our Black agenda. Your what? Black agenda. We have a Black agenda towards the solution. Wait, wait, that's what you call it? Yes. Steve, it's just people, the word Black, sometimes people get scared of it. That's why the, the hit show on TV is Black-ish. That's how you trick people. Maybe you should call it the Blackish agenda, the Melanated Initiative. Have you considered throwing an of color in there, the agenda of color? The black agenda sounds like what racists say about us behind our backs. You know, you keep saying that out loud, they're gonna try and kick you off the planning board. You gotta come up with another name for your agenda, brother. Well, it's amazing you said that because they, they have been trying to kick me off the planning board, <laughs> a non-paid position because of speaking up about black agenda. Look, we don't have a way to keep Steve on the board, but I think we may have a way to raise the capital Steve needs for his blackish agenda. It's time for the reveal. So, Steve, these systemic issues that are affecting the black community that you want to solve, this is going to be pricey stuff. So we got to figure out a way to raise capital to address those issues first before we can do anything else. We decided the quickest way to get this money right would be to rebuild Trump Plaza exactly how it was, then sell tickets so people can watch it blow up. Yeah, we could just rebuild it and blow it up again. That'll yeah, we could just do that. Yeah. That's a good idea. None of that can work right here in Atlantic City or anywhere, I think, on the planet Earth. Steve's right. Our plan is yet another real estate gamble that doesn't help the black community of Atlantic City. But it does help the black community of the Property Brothers. <laughs> so we're building it. Good luck, Atlantic City. We'll see, see you, you at, at the buffet. buffet. Thank you so much for that, guys. All right, when we come back, Marley Maitland will be on the show to talk about the new film that's making major advances in representation for the deaf-blind community. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with Golden Globe and Oscar-winning actor Marley Maitland. Along with her interpreter and producer Jack Jason, we talked about breaking down barriers in Hollywood and what she calls the first authentic representation of the deaf-blind community in the new short film, Feeling Through. Marley Maitland, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be with you. Well, kind of, sort of. We're at a distance, but that's okay. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I am super excited. I have watched you my entire life. My mom may be a bigger fan of yours than I am, but I think we'd fight about it. I grew up watching you. I grew up admiring you. Like in South Africa, your shows were huge. And it's interesting because it feels like 
in this journey, you know, you've sort of come full circle from being the star, from being the person who was getting um, the deaf community on screen and just as a character, really, you know, where being deaf is just how, who they are, to now getting into the deaf-blind community and telling us another story. Let's begin with yours. As somebody who won as many awards as you did, did you think that those awards would still be your record to hold 30-something years later, or did you think there would be more deaf or deaf-blind performers um, in Hollywood? Well, first of all, you really, really made me nervous right now, okay, by saying all that stuff. Because you just said you looked up to me all these years when you grew up in South Africa, and now, okay, fine, I'm nervous. Thanks a lot. Thank you for coming <laughs> my head. Anyway, no, thank you. No, and now, otherwise, I, I mean, likewise, I'm a fan of yours as well, and uh, we'll work this all out. In, in later thank on. you, thank you. Um, so, you know, I have to say, when I started, I was 19 years old, and I had no any inkling of how this industry worked. I had no idea about awards. And when I got my Oscar, actually, uh, I got my Oscar and I was nominated for my Oscar at the Betty Ford Center. I was getting, wow. was in rehab. I was in rehab and I got nominated there in the middle of the month of rehab. And of course that, wow. And then after that, all the other awards came. I got the Golden Globe the day before. Actually, I went to go to Betty Ford. Um, I, you know what? It, I think it was great that I had no expectations, that I had no idea what right. it all entailed. Uh, the Oscar race, the Golden Globe race, the other, the, the Emmy nominations down the road that I got. I mean, I was so naive. And I think that kept me grounded. But getting to your question, being the fact that I got the Oscar, I knew that it was a big deal. And I knew that I had to do a lot of growing up and to tell people about this, uh, that we had to make noise, that we had to get people to get work, that we had to make uh, connections in the entertainment business, that we all had to just put ourselves out there. Uh And I think the journey has been long, but yet we still have a lot to do. And there there have been ups and downs along the road. And I think it's it's all what we anticipated, but still we have work to do. There are still many actors who get overlooked because they are deaf or blind. And oftentimes, actors who will act deaf or act blind will be given the roles. Now, I understand that there's an element of acting involved and, you know, everyone won't be the character that they're playing, but surely there's, there's a special something that people bring to a role. As somebody who's played these roles, what do, you think, what do you think it adds to the role when you step in as somebody who is deaf or who is blind? It's simple. It's authenticity. It's authenticity because we've lived it. We don't have to necessarily add that on top of the acting that we're doing. We know what it's like. We can lend that sense of authenticity. I don't know what it's like to be someone who's deaf and blind, obviously, but a person who is deaf and blind can bring that to the role. We bring authenticity to the screen, period. You can't create a disability. Through, I mean, like, it's like putting on a costume. You can't do that. You can't put on a costume. We are not costumes, people who are deaf and deaf. You know, that's why I'm trying to create a tidal wave uh, to make noise out there that we need to let the community know that there are deaf, deafblind actors. There are even writers and, and producers. And, and, I mean, we're here. Hello. And we can do the work. And if you want to see authenticity on the screen, just like you want to hire any actor who feels authentic to the role, just as you would collaborate with any actor 
And if you're talking about deaf and deaf blind, then work with us. We can do it. Don't underestimate us and the work that we can do. It's just time. It's time to hire more deaf and deaf blind actors authentically. To be seen. The the idea of underestimating is one that 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 really resonates with me because I feel like you've been underestimated your entire life. And time time and time again, you you you've proven people wrong. You've excelled beyond expectations, and once again, you are in the conversation in a very different way. You know, here we are with a film, a short film that has Oscar buzz, called Feeling Through. And it's a coming-of-age story. It's really, really beautiful about this, this young kid who's homeless in New York City, and he encounters a deaf-blind man who is just really trying to get home. And right now, the film has Oscar buzz, and you can see why it has Oscar buzz. One of the biggest things that, again, surprised me, I mean, it seems obvious now, is that the lead actor had never acted before, was basically discovered and stepped into it. But when you watch it, you go like, oh, this is phenomenal. That's what it's all about. It's awesome. The deafblind guy, Robert, had never acted before. He was working as a cook in the kitchen at the Helen Keller Center. Right. Center there. And he, they, they had been on a search for an actor to, to fill the role. And they saw a number of great people, deafblind actors. But there was something that was still missing. And somebody at the center mentioned Robert. And then it, he just fit into the part. That's what happened to me in Children of a Lesser God. Right. The same thing happened to me. Um, I came from nowhere. I mean, I was in a little small production in Chicago. People were like, who's that? Who's, who's that girl in the background? It, it, stranger things have happened when it comes to casting. You don't know where you're going to find the person that fits the role. So mentioning that, you know, they used an actor who was deaf and blind to play the role of the deaf blind character in the film and feeling through was absolutely perfect. It just fit like a glove. You couldn't have had greater authenticity represented on the screen. And that's why I'm so proud of the movie because it's, it's a simple story, mm-hmm, two mm-hmm. people trying to get home, as you said, and yet they come from life with a different lens and they have different experiences, but it doesn't matter. They're still human beings and they're meeting at this place and they connect in the most profound and unexpected way. And the story works. I mean, they, they truly are collaborating. It's such a simple story that I... I mean, I, I just feel that it's just a lovely film. I'm very, very proud to be part of it. And I'm really proud to be associated with it. I mean, Oscar Buzz is a wonderful place to be in. You've been there, you've won an Oscar. Hopefully you're going to be taking home another one. But I know that you've always been somebody who wants to push for more. You're always somebody who wants to encourage the industry to be better. You're encouraging fellow actors to be better. Um, where, does, where does Molly Maitland go from I'm here? Stop. I'm never gonna stop. <laughs> I, I, I always... I mean, I love what I do. I love my deaf community. I'm very proud of where I come from. I'm very proud of collaborating with everybody outside of our community and and creating new things. Well, new things are what you have created. Fantastic new things are what you've created. And as a fan of yours for literally my entire viewing life, I would like to say thank you so much for that. And congratulations. I wish you all the best for this film. Thank you so very much. Thank you very, very much. Be sure to check out the short film at feelingthrough.com or on YouTube. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, 
March is Women's History Month. So please consider supporting an organization called She Should Run. It's a nonpartisan, nonprofit working to increase the number of women considering a run for public office. By supporting She Should Run, you are helping women from all political leanings, ethnicities, sexual identities, and backgrounds to see themselves as future candidates. So if you're able to, go to the link below and donate whatever you can. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, no matter what you did wrong, you can always find forgiveness as long as you control 20% of the world's oil. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 